So we're in week number, what is it, two, I think, of the series that we're doing called God is Real. And last week we talked about God as the creator. And the, the, the old passage, the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created. And what that really means, and we kind of broke it down a little bit, because if you don't have the idea that God is the creator, it's going to be pretty hard for you to believe the rest of the story. And so we talked about that a little bit last week. And today we're talking a little more about the character, the nature of God, the heart of God, trying to answer a question, is God angry and distant or is God personal and loving? Angry and distant or personal and loving. I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, this is elementary, my dear Watson. Of course, God is personal and loving. This is for the newbies in the room. And, you know, we can, we can play on our cell phones now. Okay, not so fast, those of you who think that it's elementary. Because I want you to slow down and think about this question a little bit before you think you know the answer. I want to try and put you in another world for a few minutes, okay? I want you to picture that you have, uh, you know, a beautiful walk with the creator of the universe. And you have a personal relationship with God. And it's a little bit different than what you may be accustomed to today. Uh, but God speaks to you, uh, namely through people who are his spokespersons, prophets, and people who write uh, uh, passages of what we now call the Bible. And God speaks to you that way. So you wait for the message from the prophet. He may deliver it orally or he may write it down. And God speaks that way to you and to your nation. And uh, that's the way that he does it for the most part. And you you pray to him, and he, he answers through the way that these prophets and so speak. At times, he even does supernatural things. At times, he appears with fire and with smoke, and he, and he does miraculous things at times. And everything seems to, you know God as well as God can be known. Okay, I want, to, I want you to picture that. And then I want you to picture what, that, what it would be like if that just stopped. If that just stopped happening, God stopped speaking, you prayed to God and he didn't answer, you called out to him, there was nothing, there was no prophet sharing, there was no, nothing being written down, it was as if God had suddenly just dropped off the scene and God became very, very silent. Now fast forward a little bit to today. I venture to say that those of you in the room who profess to be people of faith, you probably have had a similar experience where you felt like your prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. You felt like God was just not there. And you, you, in your head, you tried to wrestle with it and you tried to fight with it and all that. But you just, you just had this sense, well, where is God? Where is God when all these things are happening to me? Why is it that God seems silent? Is God angry at me? Did I do something wrong? And then something happens to you that may not be the most pleasant. They say, oh, maybe God really is angry at me. Maybe he's punishing me. Maybe something's going on. And now I want you to think of what that would be like if that happened for a long time. 
if that feeling of silence persisted for, let's say, four days. And let's say those four days turned into four months and then turned into four years and then turned into 400 years. God wasn't speaking. The miraculous wasn't happening. No prophet was preaching. Nothing was being written. It was as if God died. Or he's either very angry or very, very distant or he's busy running other planets perhaps or whatever he's doing. He's not interested in us. And it's not 40 years, it's 400 years. I want you to picture what that would feel like for you and for your, for your culture, for your city, for your nation, what that would feel like. You go from all of that to absolutely nothing. Just to give you an idea of the time involved here, okay, and, and how long this is. Um, in this movie theater, there would have likely been uh, movies playing uh, that illustrate this for kids, actually. And uh, the Chronicles of Narnia series, I don't know if any of you are familiar with that famous children's series written by C.S. Lewis, is kind of a picture of Christianity uh, for kids, all with different images of all the things that we see in the Bible. It was kind of a picture of that, sort of an allegory of that. And there's this main character in the story. He's sort of the Jesus-like figure, and his name is Aslan. Any of you have ever seen the Chronicles of Narnia or read it? Okay, about half of you. So Aslan is like this God-like, Jesus-like figure. And in the series of stories, there's periods of time where Aslan is just, he's gone. They don't know where he is. They don't think he's coming back. He's just gone. And the big question that people ask, Aslan is a lion, and they say, where is Aslan? You know, we'll just do our own thing because it seems like he's just gone. And you watch through the story, if you watch it on film or if you, you read it, they make some bad choices sometimes uh, because they think Aslan is not coming back. And, of course, he comes back and he saves the day and he clears up the situation. But bring it into the real world a little bit. Again, just a little bit of sort of current events and a bit of a, bit of a lighter mood. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a, sports, a sports fan. And uh, used to be uh, uh, an aspiring baseball player. Those of you who know me, I grew up playing baseball and all that. wasn't bad. Uh, but anyway, God had other plans. And uh, if you're following the, the sport of baseball, which I am at this time, uh, you know that we may be on the verge of history because the Chicago Cubs, uh, the, the team in professional sports with the longest drought of a championship series, 107 years people have waited for the Chicago Cubs to win a championship. And there's an old story uh, that they call the curse of the billy goat. Then uh, they say this is the reason why the Cubs haven't won the World Series because the story goes that back in the day, 107 years ago, somebody brought a billy goat into the stadium. And the people said, get that billy goat out of there. And the person with the billy goat turned and said, you will never win the championship again. 
And so for 107 years, people have been waiting to see if the curse of the billy goat will be broken. And of course, this year, there's great promise on the horizon because the Chicago Cubs are blowing everybody out of the water. And so there's, a, there's hope in the air. But you've got people in the city of Chicago who have died, who have gone to their graves waiting for a championship to come to the Cubs. And it's like two generations of people who have gone to their grave. And so it will be really interesting to see what will happen if the Cubs actually win. No, I do not think the Blue Jays will win. I think they will go somewhere, but I don't think they have a chance to actually win. Even though uh, I'm a Canadian, I don't think they will. I think Chicago will. But 107 years. Imagine 400. And you've got generations of people in your family dying waiting for the voice of God to speak again. Okay, this is what happened. This is a real picture of history. Because in our, in our chronology, the way we look at things, and the way we look at our Bible, basically in the 400 years before Jesus comes on the scene, it's silent. So from in our Bible, Malachi to Matthew, you've got 400 years where God is not speaking. The miraculous is apparently not happening. There's nothing being written. And it's silent. And we call these years this period of silence in history. And there's nothing apparently going on, at least on the surface have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt in your own personal walk with God, which is a little different, a whole lot more personal, I, I would argue, but that just your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Where is God? Is he, is he there? Is he angry at me? So I'd submit to you that the question isn't just elementary, my dear Watson. It's worth thinking about because the Jewish people were thinking about it for four centuries, burying their loved ones, waiting for God to show up. Now, what was really happening in those 400 years? And this is a lesson for us because when God is silent, he is doing stuff. He may not be speaking, but he's up to something. And in that land, in the land of, of Palestine, there was a whole lot going on for those four centuries of silence. Is this being recorded? Is it working? Oh, good. We're going to podcast the whole series, so I'm glad that it's working. I hope it's working, the recording. Uh, but anyway, uh, in those 400 years of silence... You have a bunch of things happening in the land of Palestine. You have the Persians uh, coming to power, and they're succeeded by the Greeks and Alexander the Great. And then you have this, this revolt against the Greeks by the Maccabees, and then you have the Romans come to power. And this is when Jesus comes on the scene, and there's so much action in those 400 years, and there's so much being done to set the stage for when Jesus comes. Uh, just because God may be silent in your life doesn't mean that he's not doing something. He's always doing something. But there are times where we feel like, where is he? Where did he go? I challenge you, try that for 400 years. That's what the Jewish people did. So people ask this question, well, where is God? Is he, is he angry? Is he far away? And then they look into, into the pages, for example, of the Old Testament, and they say, well, maybe he is, because there's certain things that you can read there, and you say, 
Well, God appears to be very angry. He, he, and then when we read the New Testament, sometimes we say, well, he's angry in the Old Testament, but he seems to be quite kind and quite loving in the New Testament. So is there two different gods? Maybe he's angry back then, but, he, but he's a different God in the New Testament. And we think this as we read the Bible, at least on the surface. Is it really true? Um, in the Old Testament, God is portrayed a certain way. And he's portrayed a certain way in the New Testament. I would argue he's portrayed in exactly the same way. And I want to illustrate this uh, from a story that we don't often think about except to ridicule it. Uh, the story of Jonah. Do you know the story of Jonah and the whale? That's about the only part that we usually think about is Jonah and the whale. And we say, how could a guy live inside a whale you know, for three days and three nights, and then he's coughed up on the land, and we, and we challenge that story. That's the best picture I could find of poor Jonah getting swallowed up by the, this, this whale-type creature. Uh, but you need to look at that story from a new perspective, because there's something in that story that tells us of the character of God in a magnificent way. I read the story of Jonah in about, I read the whole book of Jonah about 10 minutes this morning. Okay, you can read it that fast. But the story of Jonah basically goes like this. You have a prophet, a godly, godly man who speaks on behalf of God. And he's told to go and preach to a very nasty and wicked bunch of people called the Ninevites. Okay, they're part of the Assyrian Empire. This is a nasty, cruel, completely ungodly regime and God tells this guy, uh, Jonah, to go over there and preach over there. There's a city of 120,000 people there. And Jonah goes in a complete opposite direction. He gets on a boat and he goes, to the, he goes to the end of the earth, relatively speaking, to get away from the call of God. There's no way, if you'll excuse the expression, there's no way on God's green earth... I'm going to preach over there to those nasty, cruel, ungodly, pagan Ninevites who are our enemies anyway. There's no way that I'm going to do it. And he gets on a boat and he hightails it in the complete opposite direction. If you look at a map, he goes as far away as possible from the direction that he's supposed to go. And the story goes like this. The, the, he's on this boat with all these other people who worship all these other different gods. And there's a storm that comes. And the Bible says that God sent the storm. And the people look around and they say, there's something weird about this storm. Something's going on here. And they go and they, they talk to Jonah, who's sleeping in the boat. He seems to be very much at peace running from God. He's sleeping in the boat. And they go up to him and say, who are you? Why are you here? What's your story? Because there's something going on that's not normal here. And we think that one of these gods is angry. So tell us your story. And so Jonah fesses up and tells the truth. He says who his God is. He says that he's running from God. And he says this storm is it's, it's God's doing. And so they say, well, what are, you, what are we going to do now? And so Jonah says... Throw me off the boat. And they say, well, they, they're reluctant to do so at the beginning, but then they eventually, they, they throw the guy, they make him walk the plank, if, if you will. And they throw him off the boat. And of course, when he goes off the boat, the, the sea is calm. 
right? And then the Bible says this is where you run into the whale. And God sends this whale and it swallows up Jonah and he's in the, in the belly of this thing for three days. And then God, through this whale, coughs him up onto the shore roundabout near the place where he's actually supposed to preach. So he goes to the Ninevites and he goes and he preaches there to the Ninevites and the Ninevites actually repent. And when and, and the calamity that God said would come upon them does not come upon them, and uh, it, it turns out well for the Ninevites. But Jonah is very, very upset. He's very, very angry at this because he does not like the fact that God was kind to these people. And he gets very, very angry, and he goes and he, and he isolates himself, and he wants God basically to kill him. It says he's so angry he could die. He's so mad, he's so upset. And God shows him through a through a, a, a tree giving him shelter and a strange worm thing eating through this tree, taking away his shelter. And God interrogates Jonah, and the book ends with a question to Jonah. And he says to Jonah, what right do you have to be angry? Should I not care for these people? 120,000 people who don't know their left hand from their right hand. And that's the story. And it ends with God asking this question of Jonah. Now, buried in the story at the end of, of the book of Jonah, you see that Jonah gives the reason why he ran away from God. And his reason is, God, I know who you are. I know your nature. I know your character and I know that you would be, in his words, you are gracious and compassionate. This is Old Testament. You are gracious. You're compassionate. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in love. And you relent in sending calamity. And because I knew that you were that way, I did not want to preach to these people so they would all die. Because I knew that you would save them. And this is his reason for running from God for hundreds and hundreds of miles. Because he understood the character of God. This has nothing to do with anything written in the New Testament, folks. This is the Old Testament. He is gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. And he relents in sending calamity. That's personal. That's loving toward people. That's not distant and angry. You see the exact same passage uh, in the book of Joel. Also a prophet around the same era. And Joel kind of prophesies doom that would come uh, because of sin to, to Israel. And he talks about locusts and all this. But even in his prophecy of trouble, he still says the same thing about God. God, this is your character. You are gracious. God, you are compassionate. God, you are slow to anger. You are abounding in love. You're, you're slow to one, but you're quick to the other. God is quick to love you, and you relent in sending calamity. Uh, Psalm 136, we, we, we sang a little bit out of Psalm 103 today. Psalm 136, if you read it, you're going to see 26 times there. His love endures forever. His love endures forever 26 times. As if to get the point across to people. Understand the nature and the heart of God. 
And this is, it, this is in the, old, the so-called Old Testament. He is personal. He is loving. He is compassionate. He is abounding in love. A couple of things that happened this week that illustrated this for me. Uh, I can remember last Sunday we had the first the first group meeting over at Joseph's house there. Uh, it makes sense, and my wife and I went there, and there was another couple that was there, and um, we were expecting a few others, but they couldn't make it, so we we just did our thing there. And I mean, I know all that content. I've run small groups for years and years and years. It's not about the the, the content of what we learned per se, but. I learned something about the people that were there. I learned things about the people that were there that I never knew before. I never would have known them before. And, and there was a personal connection that was made with people. It got really funny at the end because, because Joe's had to leave and pick up his, his, his wife who was coming home from work. So he had to go and pick her up. And he effectively kicked us out of his house. And he said, you know, get out. And uh, because I have to go and pick up my pick up my wife. Now, Joe's is very kind. He didn't say it quite like that. But that was that was the point. It was get out because, you know, you're, you've overstayed your welcome kind of thing. All right. So so we leave and we're we're out in the street talking, my wife and I and this couple. And we're talking for like the next half hour standing there in the street. And we had so much in common. We were so shocked that we had so much in common. We were getting to know one another. And we stayed there so long that Joe's comes back with his wife in the car. And he said, you're still here? <laughs> uh, we, we were still talking. They said, they said, you want to come back in? He said, no, 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 I don't want to come back in. <laughs> okay. But I, was, I turned to my wife at the end. I said, my, 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 was that ever refreshing to have a personal kind of community time with people. And this is the kind of God that we serve. He is personal. He is kind. He is compassionate. And you see that illustrated when you have relationships with people. I had another experience this week where I was on the phone uh, with a man also from this church. And I've known this fellow for a long time, for many, many years. We've had many, many uh, personal experiences together with family and this kind of thing. So we know each other really well. And this individual on the phone basically rebuked me on the phone and and there was and he had reason to do so there was some comments that i had made and you know they were they were pretty foolish comments and he actually challenged me on the phone and even quoted scripture to boot to a pastor (laughs) and i listened to what he had to say i said you know what you're right and i thought and i hung up the phone and i was so thankful because this is an illustration of god god he loves us enough to correct us. You see it when, when people correct one another, when they, when they respect one another. But how much more God? God loves us enough to even correct us. Uh, uh, Hebrews says that, quoting from the Proverbs. He, he disciplines us as sons because he loves us, because he's personal, because he's compassionate, because he loves us. He is so close to us, sometimes closer than we even give him credit for. Well, that's just the Old Testament. (laughs) What about the New Testament? Well, we see a beautiful picture there, and we'll continue it next week. Uh, We see that after 400 years of silence, Jesus comes on the scene. And he is, the, the first one who comes on the scene is actually John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, he looks a little bit like Elijah in the way that he comports himself 
And he comes on the scene and he says, there's someone coming. And the kingdom of God is coming. Because there's someone, someone is on the scene. After four centuries of silence, God is showing up here. And he's the forerunner to the Lord Jesus. And we see Jesus come and he is God with us. That is so personal. That is so loving. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the prophet had said through Isaiah, you know, five, six centuries before Jesus was even born. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is now with us. Wow, that is caring. Wow, that is personal. That is loving. Galatians 4 and 4 says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Wow, that's some fullness. Four centuries, God sent forth his son. And now, because of the love of God and how personal God is, we now have the opportunity to call on God in a relationship as our father. Now, I don't know if you realize how significant that is. To be able to call upon God as Father is a really radical thought. Um, John chapter 1, verses 10 to 13, we actually talked about this a bit in our U-turn group this morning, says it this way. He was in the world, that's Jesus, and the world was made through him. We talked about that last week. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. I don't know if you see that quickly. There's a, there's a belief in Jesus. There's a receiving of Jesus. And then a person becomes a child of God where you can call upon God as Father. He gave them the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. That is not angry and distant. That is personal and loving. Uh, and to be able to say, God is my Father. The, the, in, in, in Islam, you realize that you cannot do that. I don't know if you realize that. Joe's will tell you that. He's a PhD in Islamic studies, and he will, he will tell you that. Uh, you cannot call upon God as Father because God has no son. He has no son. And this is why Jesus as the Son of God is rejected in Islam because that's, a, that's almost an obscene thought to them. God cannot have a son. Well, in the Scripture... God has millions of children and sons and daughters by faith because of what Jesus, the Son of God, has done for us. I tell you, that's good news. That speaks of a God who is personal and a God who is loving. He's not distant. He is not angry. But he's personal and he loves you and he wants to have a personal relationship with each one of us. So as we close today, I'm going to pose you the question. Um, are you a child 
of God. And I'd like the musicians to come if they would just play, just play softly behind me. And I just, I just want you to think about that idea for a minute. And maybe for some of you, 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 you've grown up in a lot of emotions. There's been a lot of religious motion in your life. You know, you, you've, you've been in and out of church all your life. You've heard it all. You've said it all. You've done it all. And you've got all this head knowledge about God and about Jesus. But I'm asking you, is there a personal relationship that you have with God? Because you can have all the intellectual knowledge and you can have all that stuff up in your head. But if you don't know God as personal and you don't know him as loving and you don't call upon him as your father, then where's the relationship? Where's the transformation that's going to take place um, in your life? It's a very simple thing that you do. You believe that Jesus as God came and died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. A penalty that all of us owe. Uh, All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can't make it to God on our own. We can't cross over to his side on our own. We're lost. But God has come down as a man in the person of Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man. And he has bridged the gap and died on the cross for us. That's belief. You believe that Jesus has done that for you and you receive him into your life. He's alive today. He's risen from the dead. He is God. He's everywhere all the time. And he's waiting to come into a person's life and be received. And when you do that, you quite simply become his child and you can call upon him as father. I just want to have a private word of prayer with you and give you an invitation to do that at this moment. And then we're going to close and turn it over to the band to lead us out. If there's anybody who's, who's in the room, I want you to, 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 to think about this for a moment. And if today is the day where you say, oh boy, I've never heard it like that before. I feel like I've, I, I, I know so much, but I don't know the one, the Lord Jesus. I don't know him. I need to have a relationship with him personally. I want to invite him into my life at this moment. If that's so, can you just raise your hand so that I can see you? And I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. I won't call you to the front. I just want to lead you in prayer this morning. Anybody, there may be one or two today. Just wait a minute. Oh, I think there's one or two today. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to pray anyway. And if you resonate with it in your heart, you can pray it after me. You don't have to pray it out loud. It's the conviction that you have. Jesus, I come to you and understand that you came and died for me. I don't I don't know it all, but Jesus, I understand that much. And I want to become a follower of you. I want to be a child of God. So I receive you, Jesus into my life even at this moment make me a child of God right now I pray amen if you prayed that prayer uh, then I want to see you at the end of the at the end of the service today I'll be standing around you can come and see me uh, you can come see me privately like Nicodemus at night you know and uh, and we can talk a little bit and it'd be great to see you in U turn next Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Uh, But the Lord bless you. Please stand with me. I'm just going to close in prayer and let you go. I will be here at the end. You come and see me. Jesus, we thank you for the great story of salvation. 
And I pray, God, that it would impact us. What a truth do we have that we could call upon you as Father. I pray you would make us uh, people who would be willing to share that with others, people who would share our lives with others, that they too may experience the salvation story. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Worship team, go ahead and lead us.